This morning we're going to be reading from John chapter 8. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John 8 verse 12 and we'll get to that here in just a minute. We're in the middle of a series titled Christmas Traditions and we're looking into some of our cultural traditions and we're learning how our, uh, even our cultural traditions, our contemporary traditions actually reveal the heart of God and they reveal the plan of God. The first week in the series, I spoke about the tradition of uh, Santa Claus. We, we looked at why, why Santa Claus, why is that a story we tell our kids and we pass that, that story down to our kids. So we looked at the, the, the background of that uh, tradition uh, all the way back to, uh, to St. Nicholas. And, uh, and then last week, I spoke to you about the tradition of, of putting up a Christmas tree in our homes and what's the significance of the Christmas tree. And again, if you missed any uh, of those uh, messages, either of those messages, you can go to our website and um, you can listen to them there. Or um, if you listen to podcasts and whatever podcast app, you can probably find us there as well. Today, I want to speak to you about the tradition of Christmas lights, of Christmas lights. How many of you put up lights in your house, on, say on, uh, on the tree, or maybe on your house, outside, or in the yard. How many of you have lights displaying? Yeah, several of you. Okay. So um, we, we like Christmas lights, and we like to go uh, to drive around and see the different lights in various neighborhoods. We also, uh, maybe you've gone down the river and you've seen our, our uh, Christmas uh, uh, lights along the river here in San Angelo. And um, some homeowners in San Angelo are really elaborate. I mean, they put up some nice, nice uh, Christmas light displays at, at their houses. Very, very fancy. Some of them even synchronize the music uh, or synchronize the, the blinking lights to music. You can listen to on the radio and, and you can see the, the lights are synchronized to the, to the beat of the music. That's kind of fun. That's kind of neat. We all like lights at Christmas. Uh, can you imagine for a moment, just try to think for a moment, what our Christmas celebrations would be like if we didn't have lights at all? No Christmas lights. And somebody's saying, I don't have to imagine, just come to my house. No, but I mean like not anywhere. Now, no, no Christmas lights, no, no lights on the Christmas trees, no lights out in the houses, no public light displays. Just no lights at all. I think we'd really miss them because we're accustomed to, to having lights as part of our, of our celebration. And so I started thinking, where did this idea come from? Where did this idea of putting up lights to celebrate Christmas originate? Now, I said to you last week that the, the Christmas tree was adopted. Uh, I mean, it goes, it goes way, way back. Um, but one of, one of the... Uh, origins of it is in 18th century Germany, where some of the upper class homes uh, would put up Christmas trees. And uh, Martin Luther was one of the first ones, actually, who, who did this. And uh, they'd put up Christmas trees in their homes, in their houses. And then some of them started decorating their Christmas trees with candles. As you can imagine, that was kind of a fire hazard. You know, it was it was uh, it was kind of expensive even uh, even then. But candles uh, for the tree, the way they put them up is they would glue the candles with a melted uh, wax, using melted wax to a tree branch, or maybe they just attach it by by pins. But uh, 
It wasn't until a little bit later that they started using uh, candle holders and so on. And then finally in the 1880s, a man who worked with uh, Thomas Edison, um, he introduced the Christmas, electric Christmas lights. His name was Edward Johnson. And Edward Johnson, after Thomas Edison patented patented the, um, the, the light bulb, then what he did... and. Uh, like I said, he worked together with him. They, they, they worked uh, in, in a shop along with some other men. So what this man, Edward Johnson, did is uh, he set up a tree in his, in his house, uh, in the parlor room. He set up a tree uh, right by the window that faced the street. And so he did this on purpose. This is, I mean, he had a plan. So he, he, he put up this Christmas tree, and then he hand-wired, he hand-wired 80 Red, white, and blue light bulbs, and he strung them all together. That was the first, you know, Christmas light, you know, strung together. And uh, he, he, he put the, the lights on the tree, and he put the, the, the tree on this revolving pedestal. And it was all powered by a generator. And so there's this tree right at the window, and the tree is revolving, and it's got 80 lights, and red, white, and blue lights. And then he called a reporter. And he, he told the reporter, you know, come over and see this. And so the reporter went by, and he, he actually wrote a story, an article, and he wrote this. The reporter did. Uh, At the rear of the beautiful parlor was a large Christmas tree presenting a most picturesque and uncanny aspect. It was brilliantly lighted with 80 lights, and uh, all encased in these dainty glass eggs, and about equally divided between uh, red, white, and blue. One can hardly imagine anything prettier. So he gave it a lot of visibility, and, and people read that, and, and they started going by this house. I mean, it, 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 this light show on the tree just drew a crowd. People would stop to peer at, at what them, to them was a, a marvel. You know, electric lights and this, this uh, tree that was um, revolving. And so it was a stunt. You know, he did it as a stunt. It worked. He turned his stunt into an annual tradition. And uh, pretty soon other people were doing that. Uh, in, in fact, um, in, 19, in rather 1884, there was a story in the New York Times that said that, uh, you know, he started with 80 bulbs in 1884. Uh, he already had 120, so he kept increasing the, the number of them. And uh, it, this wasn't a cheap thing for him, by the way, just FYI. Electricity wasn't yet available to, to just everybody. And uh, the lights weren't, weren't cheap. So he was way ahead of his time. The lights, a string of 16 lights um, uh, cost $12, which in today's money would be about $350. Would you pay $350 for 12 lights? You know, so he's spending a lot of money, but eventually because people started buying them, and then President Cleveland in 1994 put electric lights on the White House tree, and it just, it just spread, and, and uh, pretty soon uh, colored light bulbs were everywhere. Now, unlike other traditions, Christmas traditions, which have had pagan origins, using Christmas lights on a tree and, and, and eventually on the houses and the lawns, all the different displays, was done in reference to Jesus from the beginning. Some of our traditions really were pagan traditions, but we've redeemed them and we're using them for, uh, you know, for, for holy purposes. But uh, 
the, the Christmas lights really from the beginning were about Jesus. When Martin Luther first noticed the stars through, through the trees and it reminded him of Jesus coming down. And that's one of the times the story says that he, that's rather the time that he, he decided to bring a tree inside the house. Uh, the lights always referred to Jesus. And why not? Why not? Because Jesus himself referred to himself as the light of the world. In John 8, 12, we read this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of when, what was happening when Jesus said these words. The, the Jews were celebrating a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, they had this ceremony they called the Illumination of the Temple. And it was a very big event. It was toward the beginning of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what the Illumination of the Temple uh, was, is it involved a ritual lighting of four very large golden oil-fed lamps. And this happened in the Court of Women. The Court of Women was the most public part of of the temple. I mean, if women could be there, anybody could be there, basically. So the court of women, in the most public part of the temple, they would light these uh, four huge lamps. These were like uh, 75 foot high menorahs. There were four of them, 70, 75 foot high menorahs. And they were, they were lit in the temple at night. And this was done to remind them, to remind the people of when they were out in the desert, how God guided them through a pillar of fire. He guided Israel in their wilderness journey through a pillar of fire. And so this, the, these four menorahs, 75 foot high, would, would burn all night in the court of women. All night they shone their, their brilliance, they would illuminate that whole area. And so people would see that and people would be reminded, oh yes, God guided us when we were going, our people, when they were in the desert. And so it was a very, uh, very festive event. The priests would sing, they would dance, they would sing psalms of joy, they would sing psalms of praise and the celebration. And, and, and again, it was just a reminder of what, not, what, not just what God had done, but also a reminder that God had promised to send a light. The Messiah was to be a light to a sin-darkened world. He had promised to send a light to Israel to renew their, their glory, to release them from bondage, to restore their joy. So imagine for a moment now that you're in ancient Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, and you're seeing these huge menorahs just giving a tremendous amount of light. And imagine the impact of, of seeing that and the celebration. Oh, the light, the light illuminating the temple, the illumination of the temple. And then, and then Jesus stands up. In that context, Jesus stands up and he says in a loud voice, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now the people who heard him knew what he was saying. They knew he was saying, I'm the Messiah you're waiting for. And so it didn't go over very well with Jesus because he was telling them the truth. 
who he was. And uh, at the end of the chapter, if you read the rest of the story, they, they, they try to stone him. They try to kill him. But let's talk about the lights because this is not the only time we see in, in this book of John, the only time we see this metaphor of light. In fact, not just in John, but in the Old Testament, we see it uh, many times. For example, John 1, 4 and 5 reads like this. In him, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then look at John 1, 8 and 9, just a few verses down. He himself, now he's speaking about John the Baptist, he himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And that, of course, was Jesus. There's several other, several other examples of the use of this Word light as a metaphor referred to Jesus in the book of John. And so we see the contrast between the light that Jesus is and the light that Jesus brings and the darkness of this world. I mean, there are essentially two camps. Those that, that walk in the light and those that walk in the darkness. Those that, and this is one of the things that we read and in, in also in John, that those that walk in the, in the light do so because they're following Jesus. Those that walk in the darkness walk in darkness because they've rejected Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. So Christmas is about Jesus, the light of the world, coming to earth as a man. Something that was prophesied several times in the Old Testament. One of those prophecies is found in Isaiah. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 verse 2 reads like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Then verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So we see from the Old Testament to the New Jesus is the light of the world. And this was not lost, as I said, on the Jewish people. They knew what Jesus was saying. They understood that Jesus was saying, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. I'm the light of the world that you've been praying for. And, and again, this angered them. But I want to tell you that he makes the same declaration to us today. Jesus is saying to you today, I am the light of the world that you need for the darkness in your life. I am the light of the world, and without me, you won't have any light. Without me, you'll remain in darkness. And people hear that, and they, they get angry with Jesus' declaration, just the way that the Jews got angry on that occasion. But he's saying, you won't walk in the light unless you follow me. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You'll always have the light of life. Last week I told you about a condition known as seasonal affective disorder. Seasonal affective disorder. Sad. A seasonal affective disorder is a, a mental disorder in people who are otherwise mentally healthy, but that become depressed during the winter months. And this is especially prevalent in some of the northern parts of Alaska where they have a two-month period during the winter in which the sun doesn't shine. Two months of darkness. Two months of the sun not shining at all. In other places further south in Alaska, the sun might shine for a total of 45 minutes a day. And then it gets dark again. And uh, 
doctors recommend that people in Alaska and live in these places that they that they get out in the sun during those 45 minutes. If it's 45 minutes that there's sun, get out in the sun. They say get out and enjoy the sun, the light of the sun, and uh, and also recommend that they buy sun lamps to mimic the light of of the sun because being in darkness all this time creates a, a mood disorder, creates a depression. Darkness has that effect. It has that effect. It makes life difficult and challenging. Being in the dark gets depressing. Now being in the dark spiritually is not how God wants us to live. Being in the dark spiritually and emotionally is not how God wants you to live. That's why He sent Jesus, the light of the world, to earth. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4. And here's what he said. 4.17 So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. Listen to this. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from life. From the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Now what he's saying here is that spiritual darkness leads to futile thinking. Spiritual darkness leads to a darkening of understanding. A darkening of understanding that separates us from God. It's a futile thinking. It's a darkening of understanding that makes us think that we're right. The, the most educated, most intelligent people in the world think that they're right without God in their life. Because their, their understanding has been darkened. Their mind has been darkened. So all their thinking, for all their education, all their thinking is futile. And all it does, it separates them from God. And what Paul says here to the Ephesians is that spiritual darkness is wrapped up in ignorance and hard hearts, insensitivity, sensuality, indulgence, impurity, and greed. Spiritual darkness never ends well. But that's not the kind of life that Jesus died to give us, that He came to give us. He came to give us light, the light of life. But how do we access this light in our lives then? How do we access the light that gives us life so that our lives are not what we just saw described in the book of Ephesians? So that our lives are not uh, uh, characterized by futile thinking, characterized by darkened understanding, by hard hearts, ignorance, insensitivity, sensuality, impurity, greed, all these things. How do we access the light of the world? We do it, Jesus said, by following Him. By following Jesus. He said, as we get back to our original text, who, text, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's an important truth. Believing in Jesus is not enough if you're not following Jesus. Just believing in Him is not enough if you're not following Him. Many people believe in Jesus, but not everybody follows Him. Many people do great things. Maybe many people help the poor, but they don't follow Jesus. Many people have a moral compass and they regret when they do 
when they make uh, wrong moral decisions, but they don't follow Jesus. It's about following Jesus. It's about believing in Him and following Him. To follow Jesus means to give yourself over to Him. To follow Jesus means to repent of your sins and to receive forgiveness and to receive a new life. See, following Jesus is a, a, a decision that we make, but it also is something that allows God to do a work in us. It's an act of God. It's an act of transformation in our lives. So it's not just a decision we made. It's not just a prayer we say, but it's when we position ourselves through that prayer, through our repentance, through our desire for God, to allow God to make us new creations. So it's not just about believing in Him. That's, that's important. That's a start. But it's about following Him. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Also, to follow Jesus means that we take hold of His teaching and we become mature disciples. Jesus Himself said this. If you look further, we're in John 8. If you go further down in verse 31, John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. See, they had already believed Him, but He said, there's more. you got to hold to My teaching. And if you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, Jesus doesn't just want you to believe in Him. He wants you to, to grow in Him. He doesn't just want you to believe. He wants you to mature. He wants mature disciples, not shallow believers. Anybody can believe. Demons believe in God. And they tremble, but they're not, they're not in light, they're in darkness. So it's a matter of following and taking hold of His teaching to become mature disciples. He wants you to grow in Him as you follow Him. I've been uh, golfing, I've dabbled in it, in golfing for 20 years. Every once in a while I'd like to go out, go out and play golf. I used to have a partner who moved away, and I don't have a partner, so I haven't been probably in about two years. But even when I went with him, we were both about the same level, not very good. And uh, there were some times that I would start, and I was hitting them long and straight. And then uh, by the time I finished, you know, nine holes, they were like, I mean, it, it would curve so bad that if I hit it hard enough, it would probably go around and hit me in the back of the head. That's how bad it was. And um, But you know, but I've been a golfer for 20 years. I can say that. I've been a golfer for 20 years, but I'm still a beginner. I would tell people, people would come and say, hey, you want to join us? And I'd say, no, I'm a beginner. I wouldn't tell them I'd been a beginner for 20 years. But I just never learned. I just never grew. And, and I have a friend. Uh, in fact, he was our pastor back in Corpus Christi. And uh, I, I called him uh, when I first started playing. Because when we lived in Corpus, he was always inviting me. Hey, come play golf. And I was like, no, oh, I don't play golf. And you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Finally, he started playing after we moved away from Corpus. So I'm living here. And um, he, he, uh, I told him, I called him and said, hey, guess what? I took up golfing. And he, said, he told me, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Take some golf lessons right now at the beginning. Get all the good habits established and you'll, you'll love the game. You'll play it and you'll be good and it'll be fun. I never did it. And I never learned the right way. And it's not fun. You know, so... Uh, so I've played for 20 years, but I'm still a beginner. 
And sometimes people are like that with Jesus. They've, they, they believe in Jesus. They've been going to church for 20 years. But they're still shallow Christians. Because they never grew. Following Jesus is about taking hold of his teaching, he said. And, and becoming mature disciples. Let me just finish with this. There is no reason for any of us to live in darkness. No reason whatsoever. Jesus said in John 12, 46. He said, I have come into the world as a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I have come into the world as a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You don't have to stay in darkness. You don't have to live in darkness. And Christmas is a reminder to us that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world so that we could be set free from the darkness that engulfs us, from the darkness that depresses us, from the darkness that burdens us. If you turn to Jesus and you choose to follow Him and then you take a hold of His teaching to, to grow in Jesus, then you'll know, you'll know the light of life, the light that truly is life.